Well, if you don't know me, my name's Eric. I'm the lead pastor here at Alpine Church in Riverdale. And we are in this series called Anxious for Nothing. We started this last week. We're talking about anxiety, and rightfully so, because we're heading right into this season probably of anxiety. But we also believe that anxiety is more pervasive than just seasons. I think it riddles just about everybody in their life at some point point in time, um, I used to think I wasn't that anxious of a person. I didn't think I struggled with anxiety, but if I'm honest, I would look back and see several stories in my life where I, I too struggled with anxiety. Just recently, we went on a vacation like about a month ago, um, and we got a VRBO, and, uh, but this is, a, this is a thing that my family and I love to do. It's a thing we put in our budget every year. We save up for vacations. It's like a high value for us to do that, to have that time together. But yet we're still frugal, and so we got one of the cheaper VRBOs, you know? And so you want to stay at a nice place, but you settle for something that, oh, I think it'll be okay. And so we end up going to this place, and we must have not looked at the pictures very well because it was kind of creepy, you know? My kids, I'd put my kids to bed, and they're like, Dad, it's creepy down here. And I'm just like, just don't move and don't open your eyes, and everything will be okay. <laughs> it's because, you know, downstairs at this house, there was like this two hallways that had these motion sensor lights. Every time you walked through, it was picture upon picture on the wall of, like, family pictures, you know. And this guy from what I derived from studying these pictures, I didn't think he was, you know, married or anything. He had kind of an extravagant lifestyle, been all over the world. And it was just, it's just weird to have that many family photos at a VRBO, you know. You feel like you know the person and you're sleeping in their bed. And so, and then upstairs in the living room, one of the reasons why we thought it was going to be a cool place, because it had a pool table in the, in the living room. And we're like, yeah, we could play pool, you know. And, and we did. But also in the living room, it was like, this explosion of, like, idols, you know, it was like Egyptian gods and goddesses, and, and there was, you know, Buddha statues, and it was just an extravagant place, and then, you know, we get onto his Netflix account, I'm not ragging on this guy at all, I don't know him, I don't know his name, okay, but uh, we get onto the next Netflix account, and it looked like, you know, the most recent thing he had been watching was the Dahmer series documentary. <laughs> and so, so we know this, and we're like going to bed at night, and I'm like, you know, every noise that, you know, and we're in the woods, right? And so you've seen scary movies of houses in the woods. Every noise, I'm getting up, you know? I'm getting up, I got a flashlight, I check on the kids like twice a night, and uh, it, at one point in time, it was so weird, like in my wife and I's bedroom, this light just kept coming on by itself in the closet. And so we were just like, we didn't get a lot of good sleep during this vacation. We're going to do, maybe we'll splurge next time. Maybe we'll do some better research. But honestly, I had anxiety because I felt like I was in a place where I was out of control. I wasn't in control. To be in a foreign place where you don't know what's going on and you know, you don't know what's in every drawer behind every corner and lurking in every closet or whatever. I felt like I was out of control, and I think I'm a control freak sometimes. I feel comfortable when I, am, when I have control of my surroundings, or at least I, I, I know them in and out. 
I think, I bet a lot of you people are like that as well. I bet you a lot of men in here are like that, if you want to be honest. Um, and, uh, but I think a lot of us struggle with anxiety, uh, the anxiety of not being in control of our surroundings, no matter if you're a man or a woman. I think this is a, a big reason why a lot of people stay home. You know, maybe the reason for agoraphobia, you know, never leaving the house is because they, they can control everything in their surroundings at home, but when they go out into the world, bad things can happen. I can't control getting sick. I can't control if I get in an accident. I can't control if people want to come up to me or, or attack me or talk to me. I can't control my surroundings, right? And so I think a lot of us struggle with anxiety. Um, and as we brought up this anxious series, we kind of talked about it as a general anxiety. And we've been in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, where it says, Be anxious for nothing, but by everything pray. And, and I think that we, we took a general view, but now I want to kind of, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to actually look at anxiety from a couple of different angles, like some specific causes of anxiety and some specific types of anxiety. Here's what uh, one uh, author, actually a theologian who wrote an exposition commentary on this, wrote about this verse that we're talking about being anxious. He says, what is worry? The Greek word translated anxious or careful in Philippians 4, 6 means to be pulled in different directions. Our hopes pull us in one direction and our fears pull us the opposite direction. And we are pulled apart. It's like chaos when we're having that anxiety. And the old English root from which we get our word worry means to strangle. If you've ever really worried, you know how it does strangle a person. In fact, worry has definite physical consequences. Headaches, neck pains, ulcers, back pains. Worry affects our thinking, our digestion, and even our coordination. How many have been affected physically by anxiety to the point where you've had chest pains, you couldn't breathe, you couldn't think? I know that when I'm in those moments, sometimes I have to make a lot of decisions in life. And I'm responsible for uh, the care of a lot of people. I'm the leader of my household. I'm also the leader of a church. And so a lot of decisions that I make don't just affect a few people, but they affect a lot of people. And sometimes when I think about all the decisions I have to make, it brings me this anxiety. And when I got too much going on all at once, um, it affects me to the point where I just can't think anymore. There was a thing that happened, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and... I was having anxiety so much that, you know, one of, the, one of the overseers came up to me and like, we need to make a decision on this. And I just said, you make the decision, all right? I trust you. I don't need to make all the decisions. You make it. I can't think. I trust you, right? Sometimes anxiety kind of almost can cripple us, if you know what I mean. Let's look what uh, Oxford Dictionary says about anxiety. A feeling of worry nervousness or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. And we added this last sentence for today, that you can't control. Because today, we're going to talk about control freak anxiety. A lot of times we have, like I said, worry and fear, discomfort, because we can't control our environment. So let's take a look at Philippians chapter 4, with this idea in mind of always wanting to be in control of our lives. 
Philippians 4, 4 through 5 says this, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. And then the next verse in the ESV puts it like this. The last part of five, the Lord is at hand or the Lord is coming soon. Don't be anxious about anything. So what were the Philippians? Because first and foremost, to, to interpret this scripture properly, we need to look at the context, okay? And, and even I looked at my, it was, it's funny, like this don't be anxious verse is almost like a coffee mug verse or it's like a picture plaque verse you know, like a Hallmark card verse or something like that. And oftentimes we don't know the context of it. And, and it's so funny, I, I was just getting ready this morning and I don't know that I'd ever noticed it. But there was a picture on my wall in the kitchen and it had this very verse on it. Who, does anybody have this verse somewhere in their house? Well, you guys must not be Christian enough then, you know. <laughs> I grew up in a house where we had just all kinds of Bible verses plastered everywhere where in pictures and picture frames and stuff like that. And, but to understand this verse, um, we have to go back to that last half. The Lord is coming soon, or the Lord is at hand, so don't be anxious about anything. What is this saying? This is saying that ultimately Jesus is in control. All the stuff you're suffering from will be dealt with because Jesus is going to deal with it. The evil that's going on in your world, the brokenness of relationships, the sin in your life, the sin you hate in yourself, the injustices in the world out there, diseases, the bodily ailments. What he is saying to all of this is don't be anxious about anything because Jesus is going to deal with this soon. So then you should pray about everything. You should talk to him about it instead of worrying about it and running around trying to control because ultimately what that shows is our impatience in God. We don't believe he's coming back soon. We don't believe he's even going to help us at all. We believe that God wants us to go and do all the work. We believe that, well, if he's not doing anything right now, it must mean that I'm supposed to figure this out. I'm supposed to run around and go solve all of the problems. No, it said to stop, be patient. The Lord's coming, so pray because Jesus is coming back. You don't need to be anxious. You see, the Philippians were anxious. And this whole letter is about them having joy instead of anxiety. It was, it was so, so to deal with, they had disunity in the church. Paul had been imprisoned. You know, people are fighting against each other. Um, you know, so much is going on in the, in the book of Philippians. They're, they're fighting about money. And, and a lot of these things are what we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks. But specifically today, we want to look how Paul is trying to teach us, the church, how to quit being control freaks and to start trusting in the Lord even when times are hard. Because Jesus is ultimately in control. And that brings me to my first point, is which anxiety is a wake-up call, a thorn in the flesh to remind us of our dependence on God. Sometimes there are things that happen in our lives that cause us anxiety, and we think that it's a bad thing and that we're living wrongly, maybe. We think that something must be wrong because this situation is causing me anxiety, but oftentimes... 
God is trying to teach us something. And he's saying, Do you, are you going to run somewhere else? Are you going to run to another God? Are you going to run to yourself and your own ideas and opinions? Or are you going to come and pray to me? Paul, in another letter, 2 Corinthians, he, he gives this account of his, his life and his ministry. And these apostles from this other church, they're called the super apostles, or they're fake, false teachers. They're saying, Paul doesn't have the credibility. Paul doesn't have the credentials to be our leader. And so Paul has to defend himself. And he tells this story about how he had been taken to heaven. And he was given this ultimate knowledge of seeing heaven. And Paul ultimately out of all, almost all of the writers in the Bible, had a very deep knowledge of God, the mysteries of God that most people didn't actually know. Most human beings will never have the knowledge that Paul had. This caused or could cause pride in a person. You know, the Bible says knowledge puffs up. When a person like Paul would have been given so much knowledge, he could have been prideful and said, no, listen to me, I have all the gifts I have all of the abilities. I have all of the knowledge. And so in order for that to stop, God does something. In order for him to learn a lesson on even though he's been gifted and given so much, he still needs to rely on the Lord and not his own ability. Here's what happens in the story. You know, Paul's defending himself. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I'd be telling the truth. But I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. Here it is. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan, to torment me and to keep me from becoming proud. Now, Paul is like, what is going on? Lord, I thought I was your favorite. I thought I was the knowledgeable one. I was the gifted one. But yet God causes something in his life. It says a thorn was given to him, a messenger of Satan, to keep me from being proud. First and foremost, that shows that God is sovereign king over all creation, even over Satan and the messengers of Satan, and he can use them to do his will, even in Christians' lives. We've talked about this in the, the spiritual warfare series. But the other thing is, is that, you know, Paul didn't necessarily do anything wrong or bad, and he still has this thing that is causing him anxiety, but God's trying to teach him a lesson. As we go on in the story, here's where we see a little bit of Paul's struggle. He's out of control. There's an ailment that he has. It says three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and the insults and the hardships and the persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak then I am strong. We don't like being weak, do we? We want to be in full, 100% perfect working health, physically, mentally, and emotionally. And we think that until we get to that point, we're not good human beings. And, and we can't be the best person we can be unless we're in perfect 100% health, physically, mentally, and emotionally. 
But I don't think that that's the way that God sees it. God sees it this way, that when, when we accept our weaknesses and we're content in our weaknesses, when we acknowledge our weaknesses, we get to acknowledge also our dependence on God. The power of God can rest on you and me when we just realize that we're weak. We're not strong enough to put up with all the things that are going on in our lives. We're not strong enough to be sinless. We're not strong enough to keep our bodies in good working order forever. We are weak. We are, inf- we are fallible. We are not infinite like God is infinite and all-powerful and all-knowing. And God wants us to know the position which we stand versus him in his position as a king on the throne. And when we finally accept our weaknesses and quit trying to improve everything about ourselves so that God could use us, so that we could better be, be better human beings, but then we accept that, no, in my weaknesses, then I'm able to exalt Christ more and not put myself on the throne and think so highly of myself. Because people who think highly of themselves tend to want to control everything because they think all of their ideas and opinions are the best ones. But the people that are humble, the people that know that they're weak, the people that know that they don't have all the knowledge and all the power rely on God. And when a person relies on God and puts him in the proper place of their lives, that is when the power of God can shine through you and me. So our control anxiety can only be dealt with when we realize that God is in control, not us. He is the king on the throne of our lives. We are not. Sometimes we think, again, we're pretty important, but in in comparison to the almighty God, we aren't. And that's okay, though. That's not false humility, That's true humility. That's truth. God is perfect. God is good. God is all knowledgeable. And we are, let's just face it. I know that this isn't going to be one of those things that you go and tweet, you know. And, you know, one thing that always bugs me, and maybe I'm just a little bit judgmental, but like in this day and age, I always see like church pastors, they'll like, instead of quoting a Bible verse on social media, it'll be a quote from them. And it'll be a picture of their face, their smiling face. And it'll be some quote, pastor so-and-so. And it's supposed to be like so wowing, you know. But it's not the word of God, it's their own quote. And it, it bothers me because first and foremost, people think so highly of themselves that instead of quoting the word of God, they quote themselves. And then people go tweet it like, that is so good. You know, they'll like it and po- repost it and reshare it. Yes, this helps me. This makes me feel so good. Now, what I'm about to say is probably not one of those things that you're going to take a picture of me and you're going to put on Instagram and Facebook. Brothers and sisters, you are weak and you can't do it on your own. You need the Lord Jesus Christ. Quit letting people tell you that you're more powerful than you really are. We need to rely on God. That's the way that we were designed. Our ideas and our opinions are like, they pale in comparison to God and his word and his knowledge. Because he's a king. He's a good king, but he's the all-knowing king, the almighty king. 
Isaiah 6.1, it says, It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty, lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Uzziah had been a king for a long time in Israel, and they trusted in him, and there was peace in the land, and then he dies. And right at that moment, or within a time frame of around his death, God decides to show Isaiah something. He says, even though Uzziah is dead and his throne isn't occupied, my throne's still occupied. It doesn't matter about human rulers and human ideas. And you thought the care was coming from this guy when really I'm on the throne and I want you to understand that. A throne suggests something about a person. It suggests authority. It suggests that they can say things and they happen. There's something that kings are able to do. It's called a decree. When a king puts out a decree in his kingdom, it's law. And everybody is to abide by it. If they don't abide by it, it's either death or punishment. And so in order for uh, a king to operate, he has to be able to send out his decree and it happens. Well, that doesn't happen perfectly in human rulers. But with God, he also has a decree that he sends out into the world, and he is ultimately in control. He controls more than what you and I like to even fathom or imagine. God is so big, and this should make our problems so small. I love these verses in Proverbs 16. Verse 9, it says, We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Verse 33, it says, we may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. Can you even imagine how that actually works? That somehow we are accountable, and we're not controlled by ro like robots, but we are accountable for these decisions we make. We make these plans in our lives. But yet, he determines how it all works out. Can you imagine a God that big that can take every mistake, every sin, every good decision, every plan, every too, plan that you made up too quick and you jumped the gun, every plan that you thought long and hard of, he, ta he takes all of that and determines actually the outcome of everything? Do you believe that? Dear brothers and sisters, do you believe that your God is big? If you don't believe that God is that big, then certainly you will continue in worry, thinking that every decision that you and I make is somehow going to bring about the, the, the destruction of the world and the demise of God's plan. I can't even imagine this the throwing the dice, but God decides how they land. Every time that happens, every time that happens, God is deciding how it happens, how it lands. There's no random chance moment in the world because God sends out this decree. You know, theologians say it like this. A decree is, is the eternal purpose of God according to the counsel of his will whereby for his own glory he hath foreordained whatever so comes to pass. Now, that's a hard thing for you and I to continue to think about how that works. But one thing is true. We don't fully under how, understand how God works, but we have his word to comfort us and to tell us. When we're in our worry and when we're in our concern and when we think we're controlling everything, think again. 
God is actually in control. So why are we running around trying to fix every single problem in our lives? It reminds me of this story in Mark 4 where Jesus sends his disciples across the water to get to the other side of the boat. And there's a storm that pops up and they're afraid. It says, but he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. This is Jesus sleeping. He, he's not worried. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Jesus was trying, Jesus sent them through the storm, caused the storm, and then stilled the storm. And he was teaching them a lesson that he is God who controls everything, including all of his creation. Even the water, even the sea. You know, this is one of the reasons why, because I'm a control freak, I'm afraid to go, I mean, I've been out on boats, but like the thought of going on a vacation like on a cruise is scary to me because the water is such a powerful thing, one of the most powerful elements in the entire world. And I constantly think of Titanic. And so I don't know that I'm going to be going on a cruise anytime soon, but maybe I have weak faith. And I will admit that. Just like these guys, where's your faith? Why are you still afraid? I control everything. I cause the outcome of everything. But you still worry. He's trying to give us this picture. If you're going to follow me, trust in who I am. Trust in what I can do. He was probably getting this idea from his own word back in Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am God. You've ever heard that before? It's probably another coffee mug verse. <laughs> Be still and know that I am God. That means to quit running around in anxiety, running in circles or chickens with their heads cut off or whatever it is that we do when we're trying to solve all the world's problems. And be still and know that God is God and God's got this. God's going to do it. The rest of this verse is interesting to me. It says, I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. This brings up this anxiety in me when I think about my kids' salvation, you know, because Paul, actually in the letter of Philippians, he said he had anxiety over people's faith, a good anxiety, a good concern. And I sometimes wonder, like, Lord, are my kids going to be saved when they grow up? And I, I, you know, I worry about that. But at the end of the day, I realize that I have no control over that. God's in control of that. I have influence, and certainly I cannot be indifferent about the job that God has called me to do to raise up my kids in the way they should go and disciple them. But I'm going to do it imperfectly. I'm going to do it lazily. I'm going to do it weakly because that's who I am. And so then my worry is, am I not doing enough, Lord? But then I realize that God's in control of that situation, not me. He can save my kids. I can't save them. Only he can. So trusting in the Lord 
for salvation of people in our lives. Maybe you have people in your life that you're worried about their salvation and you do everything you can to worry and be concerned about that. Well, just be still and know that God is God. Remember, what did it say when you are anxious? Don't be anxious about anything, but instead, pray, right? Pray. Pray about everything. And that shows our faith in the Lord. Well, the last point then is this. The practical response to control freak anxiety is to rejoice in the Lord. If God is good and he's in control, then we must rejoice in him. Back to our verse, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Think about how we represent Christ out there in the world as Christians, if you're a Christian here today. Are you modeling that, that peace? Are you still and know that the Lord is God? Can people look at you and see a peace and a joy in your life, not worrying about every trial and tribulation and storm and problem and physical ailment and disability and struggle that you have? Can people see that in the midst of all that, you have a joy and you rejoice in the Lord and you trust the Lord? Can people see that? Let's take and consider Paul's example, and this is my last verse. Back in chapter 1, he says, Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So many things were going on. As I said, Paul was in prison while he's writing this letter. And not only that, if you read the context of this, he's fearing death. He might die. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He's going to go up against uh, civil authorities and they might judge him to death. They've been trying to kill him. So much is going on in Paul's life and he says, yes, and I will rejoice. Even though I'm in prison writing this letter. Even though I'm facing death, I love that last verse, and this should be the mantra for Christianity. For to me, to live is Christ. What does that mean? It means that my life is no longer my own. I was bought with the price. If I continue on in this body, I will honor him in all that I do. It won't be about me. He will be king, and I'll be the subject. I want to honor him with everything. I want to be like Christ. I want to suffer as he did. I want to tell the truth as he did. I want to serve others as he did. For me to live is Christ. But if I do die, I don't got to worry about that either. Because I would gain everything. Because the pain and the sorrow and the brokenness and the hurt and the tears will all be gone when that happens. And it will be glory. It will be exaltation. It will be perfection. It will be me and God face to face in paradise forever. So do you say that to yourself? Would you say that to yourself, dear brothers and sisters, Christians? For, for to me, to live is Christ and to die 
is gain? Would you surrender to the master, Jesus, the king? Let him work out your faith. Let him work out your life. Give him control, Christian. Unbeliever, will you surrender your life to Jesus? You've been managing your life up until now. Will you believe that God can do that better than you can? And ultimately, he can take you to the place you can never get on your own. And that's with Jesus in heaven. Jesus took care of that sin problem that you and I have, that we have no control over. But he came down and he paid the price and he made the way by the king coming down and dying on the cross. He took care of your greatest problem so that you could have eternal life. Would you trust in him today as well? Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we come to you today and we repent of our control. We repent of our ideas and our opinions that we think so highly of and our actions every time there's suffering or pain. Lord, it's not always our first response to drop down to our knees and bow to the king in prayer. Help us to learn how to do that. Help us, Lord, to be still and know that you are God. That is so big. When we realize how big you are, our problems will be so small in comparison to you. Let us live as billboards out there in the world, people that rejoice in joy, joy that our Savior has done so much for us already, everything that we don't deserve. And yet we're called sons and daughters of God, blessed servants of the King. Let us rejoice in that. If there are people here today, Lord, that have not put their trust in Jesus, open their arms or their eyes and their minds to just accept and receive Jesus into their heart where they can give up control and surrender to him because you're a good God. Would they just know that you, you gave everything so that they could have eternal life and relationship with you? I pray in Jesus' name, amen.